This is Jeff Young, the Catholic foodie, and you are listening to episode 13, Fast Food, Fast Faith. Welcome to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. We have quite a selection on the menu today. Youth ministry, vocation, and fast food. What do youth ministry and vocation have to do with fast food? Well, we'll find out in just a bit. As you may recall, I mentioned in episode 12 that I was to attend Abbey Youth Fest this past Saturday. As the confirmation director for St. Peter Parish in Covington, I had the pleasure of bringing 124 teens and chaperones to this exciting event. I also had the opportunity to interview a number of people, and today you're going to hear a priest, a seminarian, and a full-time youth minister weigh in on youth ministry and vocation. So what is Abbey Youth Fest? Well, I like to describe it as a Catholic Woodstock. You have 2,500 to 3,000 teens in a huge open field on the grounds of a Benedictine monastery. A huge stage, towers of speakers, a giant flat screen TV, dynamic presenters, fun and energetic bands, tons of priests and religious, teenagers who are excited about Jesus and the church, confession offered all day long, a beautiful liturgy celebrated by Archbishop Hughes, vespers in the evening, candlelight adoration with benediction, and lots of volunteers preparing food. Fast food, goodness. All of this and more is on the menu today at the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. The day I had the privilege of interviewing Father Matt Lorraine, the vocation director for the Diocese of Baton Rouge. I saw Father Matt at Abbey Youth Fest, but his priestly duties and my duties to my little flock prevented me from interviewing him that day. Uh, I was able to reach him, however, by telephone, and I would like to share that conversation with you right now. Well, I'm speaking right now with Father Matt Lorraine of the Diocese of Baton Rouge. Uh, welcome, Father Matt. Thank you very much, Jeff. Glad to be here. Now, I, I, I saw you. Uh, the other day at Abbey Fest, and uh, h- how many of those have you attended? This was my third one. Uh, I attended three years ago just as a, a visitor and then was very impressed with the environment that was set up and with the participation by both the youth and the adult advisors and so forth, and noticed that there was an area out uh, on the grounds for some vocation promotion. saw some other vocation directors there, so Last year, I um, reserved the tent to set up a booth for the Diocese of Baton Rouge Office of Vocations and did the same again this year and was very pleased with the uh, outcome both times. What was your uh, impression of the teens that you were able to speak to? Yeah, well, I'm learning in this vocation ministry um, that settings that emphasize Catholic culture and all that is the best about the Catholic faith are also wonderful opportunities to talk about vocation because we believe that God gives each of us a vocation, some people to married life, some people to single life, some to consecrated uh, life as a religious sister or brother or priest, and some to diocesan priesthood. So 
even though vocations may not be publicly the main theme of a gathering, anytime there's something like that going on, then um, I count it as a, a wonderful opportunity to go and associate with people. So you can tell the kids were all having a good time. They felt closer to God and closer to one another. Their faith was being affirmed. And so that's the perfect context to perhaps just plant seeds of seeds of possibility, raise the right questions, uh, offer some invitations to them to attend various retreats and uh, discernment weekends and so on. And that's what I count as the greatest success of the Abbey Youth Festival or let's say a diocesan youth conference or these type of events. There's not really a hard sell by me or by the other vocation directors, but we're part of the overall environment. And the young people are very um, interested and they're very open to the possibility. Uh, And we're not there to sign them up. We're just there to talk to them about it and to be a witness. And they get, they find that very encouraging and they, gain confidence in using their own just judgment and developing their own prayer life. And um, they're very open to the possibility. I think um, they're inspired by some of the heroic examples they see around them from the Holy Father on down to leaders in their own parishes and schools. And that gives them the idea that, you know, maybe it's an option for them as well. It's, it's a beautiful life. It can be a challenging life, but it's not something beyond the reach of an active young person in his parish or school. Yeah, and I, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of the teens on a, on a regular basis, even those who are in the Catholic schools, they're not really exposed to uh, religious and uh, oftentimes not even to priests on a regular basis. I mean, they may see their, their pastor or associate pastor uh, celebrate Mass on Sunday, but it's kind of like a, they're, they're removed from the, their day-to-day experience. And then you come to Abbey Fest, and it seems like uh, they get all this exposure. Um, the kids go, and they can talk to priests and nuns and brothers and monks. And I think they kind of come away, or would you say that they come away with a sense of, wow, th- these people are real people. You know, These people aren't some strange beings from another planet. Um, do, do you get that feeling? I do. I do. There's, that's part of the encouragement of, of numbers, I guess, of being in a Catholic culture. And when you have a special uh, annual event like the Abbey Youth Fest, you are able to set aside the date on your calendar. So you see just dozens of young priests, of young sisters and brothers, uh, and young married couples, for that matter, uh, who enjoy being there. And so it, it kind of shows the sky is the limit when it comes to making decisions and that if a young person should perhaps feel called at some point, they w- wouldn't feel like they are in the minority or that no one else is answering this call or they w- wouldn't necessarily feel foolish or am I just fooling myself that there's plenty of other examples to show that the Holy Spirit is active, it, the Spirit is alive and it's moving through the church offering this invitation. So it, it allows them kind of a safe place uh, to consider their own role in the church and where they might find happiness and fulfillment and where God might be directing them. So I'm encouraged in my own faith uh, just by attendance, and I think the young people pick up on that, and uh, they are encouraged as well. And you can, you can see that, I think, evidenced in the vocation call that the archbishop uh, made at, at the end of Mass. You know, mm-hmm. That's a, a large number of, uh, of teenagers who went up saying that they were at least open to Very much, yeah. A vocation. 
Very much so, and, and that was kind of, I guess, the confirmation at the end of the day, even though the, the, the day went on after Mass. But we're out there all day listening to music, hearing the, the speakers, uh, having moments of just great uh, joy and fellowship and community. And vocation is kind of a current going through the place, but it's not overly focused on. And then at the end of Mass, when the Archbishop invited those who had you know, anyone he said who had maybe kind of felt the tug at their heart, who had given a little thought to it, doesn't mean that you're ready to act on it. But if you've kind of felt like God has raised the possibility in your life, why don't you come up so that we might offer a prayer for, for you? And, you know, you might think, well, maybe 30 or 40 kids would come up, and then there's maybe 200 that, that walk up or more. I'm not sure of the number, but it was a very nice crowd. And, uh, and they did not seem overly shy or overly embarrassed by it. Um, it was something that, and for all those that came up, you know, perhaps there were others that weren't quite ready, but that this might be the first step in them considering uh, religious, a religious vocation as a possibility for their future. So it was a wonderful moment just in terms of its public witness, in terms of the prayer of the church and, and you know, moment of encouragement that we should not give up just because the going is tough sometimes or you know we're not meant to be successful every day with everything that we attempt um, but we're meant to be faithful to our call and moments like that are, are wonderful signs of God's providence guiding our lives. And I noticed in uh, during the day uh, many different times during the day uh, when we had a break from the music uh, that, mm -hmm. that loud music our ears had a chance to uh, to, to rest, I guess. Uh, they showed video clips of a video that apparently was produced in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. And it was Correct. a vo vocation, like a vocation uh, uh, video clips. Is, is mm -hmm. that? Can you tell me something about that? Yes, we just com are completing the Call by Name program, uh, which has been around for, oh, maybe 15 or 20 years now. And... It's been a very successful vocation promotion uh, initiative where you ask all the priests of a diocese to speak about their own call and, and about vocations in general on Sunday, and then you invite the parishioners, members of the congregation, to turn in the names of young men and women who have the qualities uh, needed to make good priests, sisters, and brothers. And so as part of the promotion for that, I interviewed, with the help of our TV uh, studio here, several priests and religious and seminarians in the Baton Rouge Diocese and just sat for a moment and asked them how did they first, when did they first hear God's call, um, how, did it, how did it come about, uh, what was the reaction of their family and friends, you know, were they frightened or were they excited, uh, how did they, you know, what steps did they take from there, just kind of getting them talk, to talk a little bit about their background. And then the, the cameraman also went out to their place of assignment to their ministry and did some background footage of them at the hospital or in the parish or at school, wherever they might work. And then we edited that in and made just little two minute uh, promotional spots that could be aired on the Catholic television here in Baton Rouge. We also uploaded it to YouTube. Uh, Catholic Life TV has a channel there. And so we put them on the website also so that more people could access them. And even though they were uh, intended for this particular campaign, they're not really time-specific or specific just the Diocese of Baton Rouge for that matter. So I think they have a wider appeal and they can be used 
at a setting like that, or let's say in a religion class, if you want to talk about various vocations and how God, how the Holy Spirit works, those are some good profiles. And we uh, were able to produce a total of 11 of them. And so throughout the day at Abbey Youth Fest, they would air them, and they, they were very nice. Yeah, I was, I was very impressed, actually, when I saw those. And uh, the, the thought that kept coming to me is this is a wonderful way of using the media to reach teenagers. Absolutely. In, Absolutely. In, in a very engaging way. And uh, have you gotten much feedback on these videos? Uh, I have, although I still want to get them. So far, they're just available on the, uh, on the website and by watching the Catholic Life television, but I've just transferred all of them to a DVD that I will be giving out uh, to young candidates in the diocese and to all of the priests and the religion teachers in the schools so that hopefully they'll even get broader use in the coming months and in the coming uh, year or two. Uh, but so far they've been very well received because they don't just illustrate one model of call and response, but um, 11 different possible ways of at different ages and different times in people's life how God has spoken to them and how they've attempted to respond. And it's, it, it's very beautiful when you look at them together because um, there's a love there and there's a, a fidelity there and there's a, a beauty there that, that just speaks to people of all ages. That is wonderful. You're doing great work, and uh, you are going to be in our prayers. And also, I will happily put a link on the website to the videos, the YouTube videos. Okay. And uh, I just I want to thank you for taking your time to uh, speak to us today. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. I enjoyed the conversation and appreciate your prayers, and be assured of my prayers also for you and for all of your listeners and those who participate in this ministry. Thank you so much. As Father Matt said, uh, the theme of vocation permeated the day, but it was not the main focus. It was simply part of the atmosphere of the day, and uh, it was it was really awesome to see so many religious there. You know, many had uh, vocation like tents or booths. Not tents; they were they were booths uh, where the teens could meet them and converse. There were also a few youth ministry booths and a few booths selling religious articles and casual apparel with uh, Catholic logos. As a matter of fact, I saw many teens walking around with shirts uh, that said something like, uh, Pedro was Catholic, or, you know, which is a spinoff of the Napoleon Dynamite movie and the famous quote, vote for Pedro, or Pedro offers you his protection. And they had a lot of really just catchy uh, uh, captions on T-shirts that had to do with um, uh, the, you know, the faith. It was really awesome, and the, the concert-like music was almost constant. I mean, except for mass and adoration, and when the speakers were were presenting, uh, and they used during the mass and of course in, in adoration, they had the more traditional religious hymns. So it wasn't like a concert, um, but the music was there basically all day, which I think is powerful because for teenagers, music is almost like a sense of identity. They 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 resonate with music. And speaking of music, I was able to uh, talk with Kyle Sanders, who's a second-year seminarian at Notre Dame Seminary, which is the major seminary in the Archdiocese of New Orleans.
Kyle is also a member of the band Covenant 7. And uh, you have heard a couple of clips uh, that I've used in this, in this episode as bumpers uh, from Covenant 7. So let's hear what Kyle had to say about the day and youth ministry in general. Well, I'm talking right now with uh, seminarian Kyle Sanders, who is also a member of the band Covenant 7. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Well, uh, Covenant 7 is a band, but it's not an, any kind of ordinary band. There's something special about it. And Kyle, can you tell me what that, that, that is? Well, first of all, we're a group of seminarians. We're all studying to become priests. Uh, it's based... The, the band is constantly changing. It's based here at St. Joseph Seminary College. And so from that, uh, the, the, the members are constantly changing because guys leave, new guys come, guys graduate. And so it's a constantly changing band. And as, uh, how did it actually start? I mean, it, it's been around for how long? I mean, it's... Uh, it started in uh, the, fa- the fall of the semester of 2003. Uh, it was my freshman year here at St. Ben's. Yeah. And some guys were just, they wanted to show that, first of all, we're normal seminarians, that right, we can rock right. out. Yeah. So it was a way to, like, as a vocational tool. Right. To, to say that, uh, that seminarians can still be cool, that you're not leaving your total life behind. Yeah. That you're still, you can still praise the Lord in different ways. Um, we all love to play music, so yeah. we played music together, so it was just something that kind of organically came about. And y'all, y'all play at the Abbey Fest every year. Yes. Y'all play elsewhere? Um, it really depends. Sometimes we do. Maybe people have come to Abbey Fest and have asked us to come and play in different places. But because of our schedule, seminary really doesn't allow us to go other places very often. And, I mean, your experience playing, I mean, the teens respond to your music. Definitely, right? definitely. They respond. And y'all have uh, a CD available as we well? Have, we have two CDs, actually. Two CDs? We recorded our first c- CD in 2004, uh, Beautiful Fear. And that was with, obviously, a, a totally different group of people. And then uh, in 2007, my senior year here at St. Ben's, we uh, recorded another CD, Trial and Error. So, but we recorded ourselves, mixed it, uh, student mixed, and we, we sent it off to get produced. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I am definitely going to put a link in the show notes if anybody wants to order a CD uh, and put it on the website as well. So that'll kind of give a little a little promotion for uh, Covenant awesome. Seven. Yeah. And it's, it's, I know that you have been involved in youth ministry for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you've given retreats and, and, and uh, things like that. And you are now in your second year, I believe, in the major seminary. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Uh, so you've got what about two years left, huh? Two years. Till, yeah. till ordination. Uh, it, youth ministry is something. Uh, just as, as, as a question, is that something you see in your future as a priest as well? Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's all up to the Archbishop where he sends me. Right. And but wherever wherever God leads me, whatever parish, whatever He wants me to do, if there isn't a youth ministry there to, to help set up at something, because uh, I mean, it's the youth are so open to the Lord. They're they're they're, look, they're searching for truth. They're searching for what um, for what they're not seeing in the world. Right. And um, and so they they seem to be more open than young than young adults than than um, than older adults. They're, they seem to be the most open to that because they're searching for the truth, searching for what is good, for what is right. And um, so to get them, at, especially, I mean, having experienced that, um, to get them at a younger age to grow in their faith and to 
to experience that is a really a great blessing. That's awesome. Fantastic. Well, I know y'all do a great job, and I look forward. In the past, I've had you come out uh, in a couple of other seminarians to help with confirmation retreats. Yeah. I know that once you're a priest, that's probably not going to happen because yeah. you're going to have your own duties. But I'm, uh, I look forward to the, the blessings that are going to follow your ministry, and Thank we'll you. continue to pray for you as you work toward coordination. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kyle. You Appreciate it. Thank you. Everything's gonna be alright. Everything's gonna be alright. Everything's gonna be alright. Start out the night. Well, it was so good to see Kyle, and uh, it really—I mean—it was just a fantastic day, and. Uh, for many reasons, I like going to Abbey Fest. Um, I mean, for the for the kids, for my confirmation uh, candidates, uh, to have that big group there. They're not sitting in a classroom at this point, right? Uh, listening to uh, uh, teachings on you know preparing for the sacrament of confirmation. Instead, they are at a basically a huge concert that is religious in nature, and that also involves a mass and evening prayer and adoration and uh, all kind of good stuff, you know. So it's really good to see them. I always get lots of positive feedback from both the candidates and the parents. Um, you know, after after they get home, uh, they just it, it's it bolsters the faith of those teenagers, and it's wonderful. And I'm, and I'm so happy that we have an event like that that's close by that we can uh, have our students, our, our confirmation candidates, attend uh, to have that kind of an experience. I mean, you, you don't have that just about everywhere, you know, or uh, so it's really good for us. It's it's close, and uh, it's a wonderful experience. And also, on a personal note, I really enjoy going back to the Abbey because I graduated from there. I was uh, in the seminary right there on the, uh, the Abbey property. They have the Abbey itself and the Abbey Church, right? The monastery is there, and on the property is uh, St. Joseph Seminary College. And that is the university uh, from where I graduated. Um, you know, I had gone to Steubenville for a couple of years and uh, transferred over and went into the seminary. And uh, I was at St. Ben's. We call it St. Ben's, at a, you know, affectionately uh, because it's run by Benedictines, but it's really St. Joseph Seminary College. I was there uh, for two years studying philosophy and liberal arts, and it was wonderful. I loved it. I had a great experience, and uh, I, I miss that kind of, uh, in a way, easy life of a student. You know, now I'm an adult. I have... Um, a family and a job and a, a huge thunderstorm outside my window. I don't know if you could hear that. Uh, so I can't, I don't have the leisure to read and to, to rub elbows intellectually with other, uh, other students, you know, and I loved doing that. So it's always good to go back because I get to see everybody. I get to see all my old teachers and uh, to, to see the, the campus itself. And uh, it's just a good feeling. So in addition to speaking with a priest and a seminarian, I was also able to speak with a full-time youth minister, Mr. Rock Gernon. Uh, he spent a few minutes sharing his insights with us on youth ministry. And I have to say, I've, I've known Rock for a long time. Uh, Char and I uh, used to be leaders in a youth ministry, a youth group, uh, about 10 years ago, I guess. It's been quite a while, about 10 years ago. And uh, at the time when we were there, uh, Rock was there. This was a, a big youth group. We used to have 
upwards of 120 teenagers there every, every Sunday night. And it was a lot of praise and worship and readings from Scripture, and the kids got to go and share some of their insights from Scripture. It was a really, it was a great group, and I think the setup, the format itself was wonderful. So anyway, uh, I, I began uh, speaking with Rock, kind of asking him a few questions about uh, that youth group, how his experience, you know, what was his experience as a uh, high schooler, right, a teenager in a youth group that was very similar in a way to what you find at Abbey Fest. And this is what he had to say. Sure. Well, I was. I think I attended that youth. I was in CYOs before. But, uh, this this youth group was more spiritual, uh, more communal. Uh, uh, I guess more same-minded communal. And uh, I guess I attended that youth group every week for about four, five, six years or so. And it was, it was to me at that moment in my life, it was really my daily bread. I needed like-minded people to be around. Um, the music drew me in to uh, a deeper relationship with God, and that's how he really captured me uh, in the beginning is through a lot of music. Uh, the like-minded community really helped me uh, stay firm in my pursuit of God or allowing him to pursue me. And uh, I, I love the talks that they gave and the you know, it just it just gave me an environment that was conducive for me to have a relationship with God. Where during the week I was busy, I didn't really know how to do that. Nobody was really teaching me how to pray, and this gave me an environment to to, to, to have a relationship with God, and, and would eventually teach me how to pray better. So, and, and would, do you think, in your own uh, I guess philosophy of youth ministry now as a youth minister, that that is sort of the same uh, I guess the same push for you that. Um, Something about creating an environment for teens. I mean, you're involved in retreat work, right? Sure. Yes. And would tell me a little bit about the retreat work that you sure. do. Sure. Um, I would also say that uh, something with CCRNO, and I think is very, very important with any youth ministry, is that I never felt like anything was forced on me. They always proposed and never imposed, and that and that really meant a lot to me. That nobody was forcing anything on me. Just, just kind of let, just gave it to me, held out the gift, and. If I wanted to receive it far, but no was, and that, that meant a lot to me because some people force things on you and just pushes teens away. Um, I work for uh, a nonprofit ministry, Delmox Productions, and we do uh, we help teens and young adults to uh, uh, prepare for, discern, and pursue their vocation in life, whatever that is, whether that's to marriage or some type of celibacy for the kingdom. We help prepare them uh, for that and pursue that, help them with any fear they have, help them to learn how to love rightly, um, because everybody has a vocation to love now and in the future. Um, I'm also doing part-time campus ministry at a university, uh, so we do a lot of young adult work there as well. Just helping teens and young adults to know their identity as and what it means to be man and woman and what their purpose is in life. So I think one of the, the, the most important things in youth ministry is that they, that you're authentic, that you're in love, madly in love with Jesus Christ, His Church, Our Lady, Community of Saints, and that uh, and that you love your kids, and that they know that you love them and care about them. Uh, you start giving them, spitting all these rules or spitting all this doctrine out to them. Rules without relationship equals rebellion, and uh, and that's what they do. But if if you just love them where they are and as they are. They're going to receive that, and if you're authentic and being honest with them about who you are, um, they're going to receive everything you have to tell them because they know that you love them. So I would say that one of the most important things 
Um, you also mentioned about environment. I think a lot of teams, they don't know how to pray. Yeah. They don't know how to listen to God or look at His face uh, or how to spend that time. And I think take it, helping them, um, teaching them how to pray, giving them an environment, uh, that's an example for them of, of prayer. Making an environment that's conducive for them to, to receive God and, to, and to, to be open to Him with each other is, is very important. And then I would say with retreats, um, a lot of teams, are they don't know how to get away from everything. A lot of them feel they're just stuck in their life and how it is. And that's not necessarily bad, but they need to learn how to get away from everything else and just, just be quiet and listen. And when a lot of teams are very, I think a lot of people are very uh, deathly afraid of silence and getting away from everything that's comfortable and familiar to them. We're trying to create an environment for them that's that's you know fun and communal and meeting them where they are and uh, a, a, just an environment of love uh, and fun, but then also within that, drawing them into the silence where they're not scared to enter in, teaching them how to pray, giving them an environment to, to pray in. Um, so uh, retreats are great for them to get away from what's familiar and, 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 and comfortable to them. Uh, not making them uncomfortable, but... Right. Just, just, just get them away from everything that they're holding on to. Gotta make so, them open. Yes. Or allow them to be open. Yes. Now, I, uh, I find the same thing uh, as well in, in my work with uh, with kids. But my work now is a little bit different. I'm, uh, I teach, but I'm also in charge of the confirmation program at my parish. And unfortunately, I have to teach doctrine. That's my role. Yes. And I see the, the youth ministry and like sacramental preparation is complimentary because they have to know things yes. and I really lament the fact that I can't uh, function as a youth minister as I, uh, as I used to and would like to I'm, I have a different job now you know but I, I love when the two work together we always try to get our confirmation candidates involved in youth ministry and I think that's why we have them come here to Abbey Fest what you were saying about environment you see it here. There's not there's not any silence, really. No. <laughs> there's no silence. You can hear the music uh, blaring in the background. Um, but I find, actually, I take that back. During Mass, yes, we have adoration. silence. And especially adoration. Nice. And I think when you have the, um, the music during the day, which really, as you mentioned earlier, drew you to God, Correct. it really does draw teens to God. Music is almost like a sense of identity sure. for teens. Uh, pulls them in, and and after a day of hearing some good talks and listening to music all day, they're tired enough, just tired enough, to actually be open to God, you know. Uh, and, and just I would say also the the communal aspect is not only when they come here they see all these teens and they're like, wow, I didn't know all these people are on the same page as me, and it helps them to be a lot more freer and not put up the walls and just let them down. But uh, we're all very communal people. God created us relational in His image and. Teens just love to meet new people and that are like themselves and uh, just to be in community. And this is really, um, uh, there's an echo in our heart of how it was in the, in the beginning before the fall, but there's also an echo in our heart. There's also a, a longing for what's to come in the communion of saints. And this is like an image of the communion of saints, which we're longing for, just to be together with God and his whole family for all eternity. So... I think that they're getting a taste of that here, and a taste of that at big conferences, and that you know that's what we all long for. So wonderful. One other thing I can tell you with teaching, 
Um, I think a lot of teens uh, in the classroom, because we have to teach them about what the church teaches, but I think a lot of them are like, like I said before, why am I going to listen to you about some blah, 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 some church history thing or doctrine when you, when you don't address what's going on in my heart, when you don't address what I'm dealing with? You know, want, just, just let me know that you love me and, and then address some of these issues and then I'll listen to you. Right. Um, so even if, even if the subject matter is not, I mean, always making it applicable to their, to their life. Right, right. But even if it's difficult to do that, helping them to know that you love them. Sitting at the doorway every day, if you've got guys shaking their hands, looking them in the eye, telling them they're a good man, you know, asking, talking to them outside, uh, trying, to, trying to build as much relationships as you can outside of the classroom, and they will listen to you so much more in the classroom. Um, That's so, a great insight. It's great yeah. insight. And, and that's what I did, and they, and they did. Now, what I was teaching, I was teaching Theology of the Bible for Teens as a foundation to a vocations class. So it was, it, the, the material was exactly what they needed anyway, and right. so it was easier. Um, but the more I, I tried to um, you know, form those relationships outside the classroom when they came in, they knew I wasn't just a teacher. They knew I was being right. a spiritual father, a spiritual brother, a friend to them. And that I really cared about them. That I wasn't just going to my job. Right. So they were willing to listen to me. Awesome. So, yeah. Phenomenal. Well, and I think, then uh, one last thing. Yeah. Uh, just for any ministers or teachers, and this is a really hard thing, but <clears throat> this is why we can't give what we don't have. And we got to receive God constantly and receive his love before we can give it. And if you got to burn in or you're going to burn out, right? Right. Um, but when you have kids in your youth ministry or in your classroom that are just acting out, and you're trying to be so loving to them, just acting out, acting out towards you, hopefully you would I mean, know that that's probably underneath that is a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of hurt from their life. And to, you know, to, to know that and to just to keep loving them in that mess and loving them in that pain. And if it's appropriate to go up to them and say, hey, man, you all right? You're, you know, you're doing okay in your life? And even if they keep acting out, we have a tendency to put up the walls, at least right. to that kid, yeah. and, or start playing his game. And that is horrible. He's, he's, you're not going to ever win him over. Not that you're God, but he needs to know that he's, he's loved in that mess. Right. Um, or he's never going to be loved out of it. So just to, you're going to have to take some hits. But if you, are, if you have your head on his chest and you receive him from him, you're going to have the love to take those hits. So, but it's so important that you're never going to get to that kid um, if you just got to keep loving him, well, how, even if he's acting out. Because he's going to be like, see, see, you don't love me. You just right, close your heart right, off to me. Right. See, whatever. See, you're not real. Justifies his uh, behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's all. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much, Rock. I appreciate it. And uh, God bless you and your, your ministry. Thank you. And we'll be praying for you. Okay. There's a lot that could be said about fast food, that's for sure. Uh, but one thing I'm going to state up front, uh, me and my family, we don't eat it. 
we don't eat fast food. We haven't for uh, quite a while. Uh, there are just a couple of um, couple of instances, a couple of circumstances in which we have had uh, fast food from time to time, and uh, you know some of those were just in situations where we had to get something and whether we were traveling or, or what, and we just had to. And if, if that ever happens, we're very picky about where, we, about where we go. So in this episode, I don't want to get too specific on any particular uh, fast food establishment. Uh, I want to talk really about fast food kind of in gen- general. Actually, I want to take a philosophical look at fast food, kind of check out its cultural impact. And I'm just going to ask some questions, that's all. I'm going to ask some questions. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty fair to say, I believe, that we live in a fast-paced society. We're always on the go. Uh, and this is really, I think, when talk, you're talking about fast food, I think this is really the root problem, right? In our society, fast food fills a need. Is our, is our fast-paced society to blame for fast food? Or is fast food to blame for our fast-paced society? And the question that, or the answer to that question, for me, is really another question. Why can't it be both? Why can't it be both? Fast food does indeed fill a need because we're moving on the we're on the go. We're moving so fast, and it and it does fill a need. But at the same time, it also allows society to move even faster. So, uh, fast food uh, fast food uh, kind of feeds the problem, I think, uh, as well as as give a solution. It, it does both, and it's interesting. I was reading uh, today a, a very good friend of mine, Robert Simpson. Uh, some of you may recognize him from. Uh, last episode, I believe it was episode 12 on St. Joseph, uh, he's the guy that was wearing the red shirt that said, I love Lent on the front of it, uh, that I put on the website and also on the, the album cover art for the, for the podcast for that episode. Well, Robert Simpson subscribes to uh, Chesterton, I'm sorry, he's a member of the American Chesterton Society, and he receives on, I guess it's a, a bi-monthly basis, uh, Gilbert Magazine. This is a magazine dedicated to uh, G.K. Chesterton. Um, anyway, there was a couple of really, really good articles in here about food. Actually, the entire magazine, this issue, was about food. And this one section, I want to read this one paragraph to you. It, it's about, uh, I guess you could call it like the, the Catholicity of food, the Catholicity of meals and eating a meal. And this is what this is from the editorial Food and Fellowship, and this is what it says: Eating is a normal act, but eating is a moral act, and eating is a spiritual act. It is not merely a material act, yet it is a material act. And while it is a daily act, it is one of the most important acts of the day, as Chesterton says. Every meal could be called breakfast. It it. It is breaking a fast, right? And it should also be a feast of thanksgiving, no matter how humble the fare. Ideally, it begins in prayer and ends in laughter. Many, maybe most, of our good memories come from times around the table, eating, drinking, talking, and laughing with those we love. If the family is the center of society, then the table is the center of the family. It is a demonstrable fact that families who sit down together for at least one meal a day are more tightly knit, supportive, healthy. It's, it's in communion, right? It is communion. 
So that's uh, what this editorial had to say. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to Gilbert Magazine. I Unfortunately, they don't have an online version of that article. And there's another one that I will read to you shortly. But uh, it's, it's referring to meals like this, the Catholicity of eating, the Catholicity of dining, of, of meals, and saying very clearly that, that a meal shared together is like communion. And when I read that, it made me think, you know what? Another manifestation of this fast food, fast-paced society thing, and I hope I don't offend anybody out there, uh, but it's the, the whole, what about those people who leave right after communion? Have you ever noticed that? Some people go to communion, and before Mass is actually over, they get up and they walk out the church. Um, what about those people? I, Scott Hahn, I believe, has a, a catchy term uh, for that act. He calls it the Judas Shuffle, since in the Gospels, Judas left early from the Last Supper to go to hand Jesus over. Scott Hahn does refer to the leaving early as the Judas Shuffle. Um, what does that signify? And the thing that I was thinking about after reading that article is, you know, you leave right after communion, the meal is not over. Everybody else is still eating, and the meal's not over, and you're leaving. You know, is it not an act of, like, denigrating the Eucharist to the level of fast food? Are we making it into, like, fast food Jesus? You know, you go, you receive communion, then you leave right after. We can't linger at the table with our family. And the church, of course, is the, we're all the body of Christ. We're all members of the family of God. And when we're at Mass, we are there at our Father's table. And to just get up and leave, it, it's really kind of rude, you know? Uh, and, and, it, and it says something. It says something about that person's relationship to God and the community. And it says something about the community, I think. So... Um, Anyway, that, that's, uh, you know, when we have a meal with our family, we like to stay and linger and laugh. That's what it's, it starts with prayer and it ends with laughter. And I couldn't help but think of that. I know so many times, and it's not that we're great or anything, my family, but we do stay till the end of Mass. And so many times after Mass, you can find the kids running around playing outside. Uh, a lot of, of young families or families about our age, you know, 40s and under, families with young kids, right? And I'm, I'm not 40 yet, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm almost there. Uh, but families with young kids, and we're all outside talking and, and having fun, you know, after Mass. Um, but if you leave early, you miss out on all that. Another question, we're going to deal with this really next episode because we're going to continue talking about fast food and also youth ministry and vocations. Uh, I've got a few other people who will speak to us next episode, in episode 14. Uh, but another thing, along those lines, one of the things that we're going to talk about, another question we're going to talk about is confession. You know, why do we have long communion lines and short confession lines. And does that have anything to do with our fast-paced society? I, I think it does. And so we'll talk more about that next episode. It is true that living in our current society, you know, we really can hardly do away with fast food. Uh, it, it's everywhere. It's convenient. And people's schedules are maxed out, so it, it's right there. Uh, but we need to start recognizing this, I think. Uh, we need to start to recognize that fast food or the fast food society is breaking down community and families, right? It's breaking down community and families. And what we need is to slow down, uh, to cook a meal, to share that meal with family and friends. This is what builds community. And sitting at the table with others, sharing good food, fosters conversation. And conversation brings people 
closer together. And I do have one more uh, paragraph that I'd like to read to you, and this is from a, a different article in that, uh, in, in that issue of Gilbert. This is by David Beresford. Uh, the title, the, the, it's like a little commentary titled Supper Time, and he writes, this is after he's talked about like, uh, the, the, the Christian nature of, of the table. And at one point he's talking about how there's a certain arrangement and ritual and, uh, uh, to the table, right? You, you set the table a certain way. There are certain hierarchical rules. You have a, a head of the table and the foot of the table. And you have, you know, the father's usually the head of the table. And within the hierarchy, those at the table pass the bowls of food, right? Following a, a, a ritual that involves saying, please pass this or the other and thank you. Right? So it's, it's a ritual as well, these meals. And then he begins to talk about the pagan meals. And uh, it's, um, I'm not going to go into the pagan meals, but basically it's kind of like the antithesis of the Christian table. Okay? And then he says this, Now consider the modern family supper time, which is presented to us by our culture. It is an unholy mixture of plastic pre-cooked protein ugly toy, toy dolls and clowns. Grace, if said, feels awkward. Cash can fill your belly. Cash can entertain your kids. The entire event is a hollow shell, a mockery, a mini sacrament in the culture of death, lacking even the authenticity of the pagan meal. The message is clear. There is no family, no ritual, no community, no life for food for food, pay cash. It is now a radical pro-life act to cook and eat at home. I like that. That sounds great. It is now a radical pro-life act to cook and eat at home. So let us clear away the plastic, set the table with our best china, and light the candles, put in a chicken on the table and knives in the hands of our children, and beginning with grace, dig in after a hard day's work. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I think it kind of... It, it, it highlights the nature of fast food. I mean, it's hardly even real food. And I, I guess that's something we should talk about later when we're talking about the health aspect. But it's hardly even real food. I mean, they, they create the tastes that you taste when you eat fast food in a laboratory. So uh, that's, that's pretty much my take on fast food for this episode. I think that it's related to vocation and to youth ministry for a couple of reasons. Youth love fast food. Um, many of my students that I talk to say they eat it a few times, at least a few times, if not several times a week. Uh, and that fast food, I think, is indicative of us moving too fast in society, and which means that we have a harder time stopping to listen. And if we can't stop to listen, how can we hear God? And God is the one who calls us to our vocation, whether it is to marriage or to priesthood or religious life or to uh, uh, celibacy for the kingdom as a single person. God is the one that calls us, and we, he, he doesn't stop calling. But some people, all of us really, have such a hard time listening simply because we're moving at such a fast play, pace in our society that we can't stop to listen. So, put the fast food away. Take the time. Take the time to actually cook a meal, share a meal with family and friends, this is what I'm advocating to my students, actually. I'm, I'm trying to get my students to be more in tune to meals at home 
and, uh, and you know, to even try their hand at cooking. Maybe offer mom and dad, hey, I'd like to cook this meal tonight. Um, because cooking and being in the kitchen brings families closer together. All right, enough said. Well, if you have any questions on youth ministry or about youth ministry, vocations, or fast food, please let me know. You can reach me via email at catholicfoodie at gmail.com. Or you can call the listener feedback line and leave a message there. And that number is 985-635-4974. As we close out episode 13, I'm going to leave you with a song uh, by Covenant 7. And it is entitled 32 Miles. And until next time, bon appetit. I'll sit right back and I'll tell you, son, about a little story of my mama's son. Well, he grew up slow, grew up soft, wouldn't be long for he was off to college to live out on his own. Yeah, we've all changed a lot since then, when we fought each other, when we fought sin. And I would not hesitate to do it all again. So bring back those good old days with you and me in the court, Mr. Bay. Sitting on the beach watching girls go by Daring each other to wave and say hi Fishing all day till the sun went down Only 32 miles from the island back in the town Yeah, I'm driving down life road too damn fast Trying like hell to hang on to the past Never missing my friendships we thought they would last But remember like the weather people are changing they stay the same But what these new showing that people are always changing yeah. Everybody changing Everybody changing Everybody changes But I wish it wasn't so Back in.